listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, uh, and then we'll dive into the Word here today. Father, we thank you for this great day. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your words so deep and meaningful and, and so humbling, Lord, that you would go out of your way to let us know you. For without your word and without Jesus, who is the word of life, we couldn't know you. We just have to guess. Uh, and so we're humbled that you would go to such effort to give us your words and to speak to us. And we ask, Lord, that you would now uh, do what you need to do in our words. Help us to be careful with them. Help us to be thoughtful with them. Help us to use them for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, well, here we are in our summer series in the book of Proverbs. We've been here for about eight weeks now, and uh, many of you have talked to me and Pastor Bill about how applicable these sermons have been, how easy they have been to follow, and, and, and quite convicting, actually, for your life. And so there's been a lot of introspection done here this summer, some good stuff. If you're joining us midstream, maybe just the last week or two, or even just brand new today, I thought it would be helpful to give you just a little bit of a brush-up, a little bit of a review on what a proverb is and what we're kind of doing here as we go through this book of Proverbs. Um, as Pastor Mill mentioned when he introed the series, the book of Proverbs is part of uh, the scriptures that we call wisdom literature. Um, and maybe you never knew this about the Bible, but there are different kinds of literature throughout the Bible. There's poetry, there's history, um, there's prophecy, and there's wisdom literature. And, and the Proverbs fall into that category. So we call it wisdom literature because it's written by a king, um, King Solomon, who is noted to be one of the wisest men who ever lived. And he writes these little sayings for the purpose of passing along wisdom to his son. Okay, so that's why he's, he's writing these things, and we still kind of use the word proverb in that way today. Um, a general definition that we would use as, as, um, for a proverb today is a short, pithy saying in general use, stating a general truth or a piece of advice. Okay, so here we have, just picture this wise, old, sagely king, and he's got this wealth of experiences and this wealth of wisdom, and he's saying, what are the things that I need to pass along to my son? And this is pretty readily understandable because you do this with your kids or maybe you've, had, you've sat underneath a grandparent or an aunt or uncle who is wiser and older and they've said, hey, remember this, don't do this, think about this. And that's what's going on here in these Proverbs. They tend to be very topically arranged, um, which is why Pastor Bill said these sermons are more topical, um, which is why they can be pretty pointed on a, on a particular issue. And these topics tend to weave themselves throughout the Proverbs. They don't you know, the writer doesn't just set out and say, okay, I'm going to talk about this now, and then I'm going to talk about this. He sort of says these sayings, and they're compiled, and they change every other line. So if you have ADHD, you love the Proverbs, because they just keep changing, on, and, and you're like, where's it going now? And, and it's just, you know, one little wise saying after another. And so it's, we, there's a couple of things that are important for us to remember as we go through the Proverbs, as we study the Proverbs. And I wanted to respond to a couple of questions that I thought, um, have been fabulous questions that Pastor Bill and I have, have fielded as we go through these. And the first thing that I think is important to remember is to look for Jesus, um, to look for Jesus and look for the gospel. Uh, because some of you have said, hey, I'm reading the book of Proverbs, and it kind of seems like uh, just do the right thing, just get wisdom, just 
uh, you know, obey God, and then your life's going to turn out perfect, and the birds are always going to be chirping, and you're always going to be happy, and your life's going to turn out wonderful. And is that really Christianity, by the way? And, and we say, well, actually, no. Um, because here's the deal. The, the Christianity says that we couldn't have been wise enough. We couldn't have done good enough. We couldn't have achieved um, our own closeness to God. God actually had to become a man, come close to us, and die in our place for our sins as our substitute because we couldn't do it on our own, right? And Proverbs sort of seems like you're trying to do it on your own, um, which you have to understand the difference between the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. This is a Jewish king, and he's passing along wisdom for how his son needs to stay close to Yahweh. Okay, this is an Old Testament book written long before Jesus ever comes on the scene. And so the Jewish faith was then and very much still is now an orthopraxy. All right, you think of orthodontics, it's making your teeth right. The word ortho just means right. And the Jewish faith is very much right practice. It's doing the right thing. That's, the, that's where the emphasis is placed on. Doing the right thing keeps you in relationship with God. Whereas Christianity is called an orthodoxy. It's right praise. We give praise to our God because he did what we couldn't do. All right, does that make sense? So when you read the Proverbs, you always got to run it through the lens of the gospel. You always have to take it and say, now how does this change now that Jesus has come and given his life for me? All right, the second thing you have to remember as you study the Proverbs, or at least that I think is helpful, is that we have to realize these are not rules or formulas that we can just sort of say, this plus this always equals this. Um, And we don't do that with the Proverbs that we listen to today. I mean, how many of you growing up heard, Uh, Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Anybody hear that? You know? Um, And that's probably a generally wise statement. You know, good sleep habits might produce good work habits, um, might produce, you know, uh, good financial uh, habits. But there's always that person that is early to bed, early to rise, and winds up kind of sick, uh, a bit tired, and a bit dull, you know? And, and everything just goes wrong in their life. And so you say, well, that proverb doesn't work every single time. And that's the same thing with the Proverbs in the Bible. Um, when I was a youth pastor for many years and doing lots of youth ministry, one of the, the Proverbs that many parents struggled with was Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And they would say, look, my, my child is a prodigal. They're running from God. They don't love God. And, and look, it must be my fault. Here's the deal. These are not formulas or rules. Um, They don't come true every single time. I know fabulous parents that have prodigal children. Um, And I know terrible parents that have wonderful children. I can't figure it out. But these things are not true every single time. God himself describes him as a father with a prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. These are not rules or formulas that if you do, then they automatically come true. It's general wisdom, general advice that's supposed to guide you on through life, okay? Um, so that's a little refresher. Now I want to go into the topic that, that Pastor Bill uh, wanted me to talk to you about today. And I'm excited to talk to you about it. It's, it's very convicting for me. It's been a difficult week for me. And that is the idea of words and how Christians use their words. Okay, so we're going to be in the Proverbs today, but I want to do it just a little bit differently. I want to start in the New Testament after Jesus has given his life, risen from the dead, gone into heaven, and the church has been born in in the city of Jerusalem. And we find Jesus' little brother saying some things to, to the Christians about how they're supposed to use their tongues. Okay, so we're going to be in the book of James today. Um, And so if you turn to James chapter 
3. We're going to be in James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. And then we're going to back our way into the Proverbs. James was a good Jewish boy, so I'm confident that a lot of the things he writes here, he got right out of the Proverbs. He knew them well. He knew the wisdom that was rich in the Proverbs. And uh, this informed a great deal of his teaching, um, even as he teaches the Christians. Because Christianity springs forth out of uh, the Jewish faith, okay? Um, that's where our roots are. And James is, uh, of course, the little brother of Jesus, and we don't have any record throughout Christian history of James being a Christian before he witnesses his brother risen from the dead, which, you know, some of you have older siblings in here. That I'm guessing that might be what it would take for you to believe that your brother was God, to actually see him die, buried, and raised from the dead. So James, no evidence that James thinks Jesus is God until his resurrection. He's kind of like, dude, I thought you were crazy. But now that I saw you die and risen again, I guess I'm in. And we find that James is a leader in the New Testament church. He's a pastor. Some call him a bishop in the Jerusalem church. He's leading the church. He's guiding the church. He's got this pastoral, sagely wisdom. And he's saying, this is how you need to use your tongue. And a lot of it is... is directly from and directly influenced by the Proverbs. So we're going to be in both James and the Proverbs today. But we're going to start in James. And so this is what James says, Pastor James, in James chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read the first 12 verses, and then we're going to unpack it um, with the Proverbs. He says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay, this is God's word. Let's look at what Pastor James is saying here and, and how he's drawing a lot of this wisdom from the Proverbs. The first big point he's making, you can tell he's not overly positive about the tongue. Okay? He's using some really strong language here. But the first thing he's really saying here is do not underestimate the power of your words. I mean, he couldn't be saying that any clearer. Look at the imagery. He's saying the tongue is small, but it's deceptively small. Just because it's a small member of the body, don't underestimate it. It is massively powerful. It's like dynamite. You know, it's just, it's just unbelievably powerful. Look at the imagery he uses. He says it's like a, a forest fire. Nobody in, in California right now would say, if you're in a dry, forested area, oh, that's only one little match. 
just light it and throw it wherever. Because it is just one little match. But thousands and thousands of acres have been burned by forest fires this year. Tons of destruction. James is saying the tongue is like that. Or no, no captain of a ship would say, hey, fellas, the rudder's broken, but forge ahead. We're going to keep going. No big deal. It's just the little part of the ship. Look at all this other part that's working great. He'd say, no, that's going to be a big problem. Because that, that has everything to do with how we're guided and, and how the ship is, is steered and governed. Same thing with the tongue. He compares it to wild beasts. He says, wild beasts are more tameable than the tongue. You can't tame this thing. It's powerful. As Christians, we should never believe the children's chant. You might have said it to some of your friends. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Nothing could be farther from the truth. I mean, wars have been started over just words. And if we sat here for a couple of minutes, I'm sure every single one of us in here could think of words that were spoken to us 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, some of us even 40 years ago that have still stuck. They were that painful. And, and they were so painful that once they come to your psyche, they reproduce pain still today. Think of the power of that. If we take another couple of minutes, I'm sure that we could remember things that we said to someone that we would give anything to have back. They cause so much destruction, so much power in them. Ruin things in people's lives. And it's like toothpaste. Once it's out, it's out. You ever see your kids trying to cram toothpaste back into the tube? You know, my kids do that. They know that we hate it when there's toothpaste everywhere. And they're just so aggressive with the toothpaste squeezing. But once it gets out, they try to jam it back in, and then it gets all over the thing, and it's like, all right, just stop. It's out, it's done. That tube is done. Can't take it back. That's the way it is with words. They're so powerful, and there's no undoing them. Once they've been said, they're said. James is saying, you better not underestimate this. As Christian people, now if you're an unbeliever here today, if you're not a Christian here today, you know, we want you to hear this thing about words, but more than anything, we want you to come to Jesus, all right? So you're going to get an opportunity. So most of this uh, doesn't apply to you yet. I'm speaking to you as Christian people to say, James is telling the Christians in Jerusalem, you've got to be careful what you do with your tongue. And then he goes on, and he's going to talk about how the tongue can be used for this great evil. And he doesn't give us examples. He says, um, in addition, he's going, to, he's going to talk to us about how it can be used in positive ways, and this is where we're really going to rely heavily on the Proverbs. But James says the unbridled tongue is like a world of unrighteousness, a restless evil, a deadly poison. He says it's set on fire by hell itself. Now, what do you think James is referring to there? What's, what's so evil about the tongue? He doesn't give us any examples. He doesn't go into, let me tell you how, to use your tongue, or how not to use your tongue in an evil way. He just says this is it. It's a world of unrighteousness, a restless evil, a deadly poison. Let's go to the wise, sagely father in the Proverbs to see what possibly James might be talking about here as it regards the evils of the tongue. First of all, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. We read about lying. Not too many sermons preached about lying anymore these days. But the Proverbs say that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his, deli- are his delight. Several other Proverbs that we could go to 
we just don't have time today, but lying is a sin that is so easily excused today, um, I think because it's just so common. Um, it's, it's something that we justify easily by, by saying, well, that's what I need to do to climb the corporate ladder. That's what I need to do to get that promotion. Just, it's just a little white lie. It's just a little fib. You know, most of us probably aren't, aren't setting out to lie to people all the time. But aren't we tempted by subtle little untruths here and there, fibbing on our income taxes? Um, you know, maybe embellishing our resume to land that big job hiding things from our spouses. Truth is, lying has many different forms, but all forms of lying, the Proverbs tell us, are destructive. They're destructive, and we can see this in our culture today. We have a culture that is just so riddled with distrust. Ever, you're realizing that lately? I mean, um, the political polls just keep dropping. The approval ratings just keep dropping. Um, and, and it's not just politicians that are losing trust. It's everyone. It's every one of them. You, you may feel this at your job. Um, people just do not trust anymore. And it's because we have a culture of lying that says, my needs are more important than anyone else's, so I'll do whatever, including be dishonest to get what I need, to get what I want. The Proverbs say, destroys us. Trust is the fabric of our culture. It's the fabric of our relationships. It's the foundation upon which every relationship is built. And lying shreds that. And so our wise, sagely father and our heavenly father say, Christians, Christian people, you should not be lying to one another. Don't be lying. Don't be destroying the fabric of your relationship. God wants us to be in community. He wants us to be together. And lying is one of those things that's always going to inhibit that. And of course, of course, lying has a close cousin uh, named flattery. And if you uh, into flattery, these are not sincere compliments, uh, but compliments given to try to win the approval of someone, win the favor of someone, or to manipulate them to do what you want them to do. Um, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 28 says, A lying tongue hates its victim, and a flattering mouth works ruin. The example given in the Proverbs is the adulterous woman in Proverbs 6 and 7. But here's the saddest thing to me about flattery. This is why it works, okay? It works because people today, and always have been, are hungry for encouragement. People are starving for encouragement. You ever notice that? Maybe you just encourage the person that, that cuts your hair. You say, you did a really great job. You just watch their face light up. Because we are... We are Short on encouragement. We live in a very critical world where people sort of take pleasure in cutting people down. That's why the Bible is constantly saying, encourage one another, build each other up. Because you're facing a world that's very negative and very critical. And as Christians, that's one of our, one of our main things that we ought to be doing is, is noticing the good about someone and giving them a genuine praise. Not to manipulate them, not to play on their need for compliments so that you can get them to do what you want to do. Flattery hinges on that. It takes advantage of our God-given need for love and encouragement. Christians, we ought not to be people of flattery. And then, of course, there's another one that I think uh, we need to work really hard on, and this is gossip. It's all part of this world of unrighteousness and restless evil that James is talking about. Gossip. 
In the Proverbs, a gossip is also known as a talebearer, a slanderer, a whisperer. And there's several different passages, five or six of them, but my favorite is Proverbs 18, verse 8, where I love the way the writer describes it. He says, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels that go down to the inner parts of the body. What's he saying there? The words of a gossip, the words of a whisperer, are like delicious morsels. He's saying it's like candy. Anybody like Laffy Taffy? You know? I think one of the worst things uh, as a banker would be to see candy all day. You know, it's just sitting there. And you know it's not good for you. You know it's not meeting any nutritional need in you. It's actually doing the opposite thing, but it's right there. It's just hard to resist. Just a little, you know, a Tootsie Roll or a a Laffy Taffy or maybe one of Susan Boos's cookies, which I live in an office literally 100 feet away from an endless supply of Susan Boos's cookies, these just delicious little morsels. And the writer of Proverbs is saying that gossip is like this. It's just tasty. It's just offering you just a little chunk of, of tastiness, a little hard-to-resist bit of information. You know how it goes. Someone comes up to you and says, boy, did you hear about so-and-so? And you go, well, no, I didn't. And you're just kind of waiting. So you're going to tell me? I say, well, I really shouldn't. But I will. You know, or the Christian way we do it is we get in a circle and we say, boy, we really need to be praying for Sister Sally. And then all of us kind of wait, and we say, well, how might I pray more specifically for Sister Sally? What did she do? And then we share the gossip. You know? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to ever share a prayer need, but that is one of the ways we, we, we get into um, sharing things about people's lives that they don't want to be said. And the writer of the Proverbs is saying, I know it's tasty, it's delicious, It seems just like that juicy little tidbit of information, but it's destructive. In our culture, we've uh, commercialized gossip. Do a little quick quiz in your mind. Um, How many of you know who the movie stars are dating or married to currently? Either one. Uh, How many of you can name, you know, five of them? How many of you know who's having a baby? You know, the movie stars that are having a baby. How many of you know... uh, whose baby they're having, whether it's someone else or they're the person they're supposed to be with. Um, you know, we know things about people's lives that should kind of make us sick a little bit. Now, you don't know anything about them as a person, but we know all kinds of things about their lives because of commercialized gossip. Now, what I find really interesting that goes along with this passage here in Proverbs is, where do they keep the gossip at the grocery store? At the checkout. And what's, it, what's right next to it? Candy. So you can get two kinds of buzzes. You can go to the you can go right up to the oh hey, I, I thought I needed a Snickers or I needed a Kit Kat, a break today, or there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's. I just need something to give me that little mental buzz. And you just grab one and then you say, Oh, I could use a little bit of emotional buzz too. How about a little gossip? So you grab your magazine and you got your candy and you're good to go. What's that? Oh, yeah, Coke, too. Yeah, they have it all right there. It's just packaged so beautifully, and it's just, it's just tasty. It's not good for anything. It's actually destructive for your body and for your mind, but it's sitting right there. And the writer of Proverbs is saying, I know it's tasty. I know you get a little buzz from it mentally, a little buzz from it emotionally, but he's saying it's destructive. It's destructive. It destroys our integrity. It destroys people's character. It destroys relationships. 
So he's saying, don't be fooled by how innocent, by how delicious these choices
thank you for this time. We thank you for your words. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.